Welcome to the Hot Lava Podcast. Kevin A.C., Padres beat writer for the Union Tribune. Jay Posner, sports editor for the Union Tribune. I'm in Denver. Padres about to play the Rockies three games. Jay, the Rockies stink. Padres are on a roll. And I have no idea what it means because Rockies gave them a heck of a time last year. Gave them a heck of a time, more importantly, more, you know, germane to our discussion just last weekend. You know what, Kevin? That's baseball. All right. Hey, we're going to see Bud Black today. That's it. I'm getting you ready for some Bud Black talk. No, I mean, I, I was just, I, I looked, did a little bit of quick, very quick research on the Rockies and, and they stink. And they've really been bad at home, which seems so rare for a team that, you know, we all think of having a great advantage playing at home. I guess, they're, you know, being used to the altitude and the dry weather and the hot weather, all of which you're, you'll have to enjoy this weekend. The, the Rockies started out the year winning 11 of 16 at home. And since then, they've, they've gone 5 and 14 at home. They've, they've been swept in two series in a row. The Braves swept them four in a row. Then the Rockies went on the road, including the trip that took them to San Diego, where they were decent, you know, split the series here, went back home earlier this week and got swept by Cleveland. So, as we know, no figuring any of this. Their last home victory was on June 1st. Three-game series this weekend. The Padres throwing two of the pitchers that the Rockies saw last week. And I guess the same is true for the Rockies against the Padres. Uh, Gore goes against Kyle Freeland. Tonight, that was a mismatch for the Rockies the first time around. Gore had his first bad start, as we've talked about. And and I think tomorrow is Herman Marquez, who pitched well also for the Rockies, as he usually does against the Padres. And Nick Martinez, uh, who pitched well, I thought, for the Padres in that um, in that game. The pod, This was part of the stretch where the Padres scored two runs in three straight games, managed to win one of them. But, man, they... They sure broke out against those Cubs. Uh, yeah, they broke boy, out. At- that, talk about a, talk about bad teams. Wow. Uh, I will say this: that there was no denying in the uh, Padres clubhouse. I couldn't help myself as I was. You know, you go around and you're talking to a team that's hitting well. I couldn't help myself but say, "Man, too bad you can't face the Cubs pitching um, uh, all season." And there was no denying that fact. By, by, <laughs> I mean, that would be silly. Uh, what I'll say about the Rockies is it's not just against the Padres and. And by, let me just say this right now. The Padres should come in here and win this series and, and finish a very good road trip. I don't care who's starting. Uh, this is not a good team, and it's obviously a bad bullpen because Kyle Freeland has been pitching well for a week or so. Herman Marquez has been pitching well for a week or so. And Antonio Sensatella, who faces Blake Snell on Sunday, is coming off two quality starts. So obviously right. there's problems at the back end for the Rockies, and that's very much the situation, of course, there's problems at the front end too with the Cubs, but there's problems at the back end in the bullpen with the, with the Cubs and and the Padres are on a roll right now. They are just as they said, their offense is heating up, and you come in here, and I don't care if it's here or uh, anywhere else, you do what you do. You take care of uh, the bullpen and the the weaker pitchers, and and you score a lot of runs. And and I don't think I mean their bullpen at the back. I mean Daniel Bard's been pretty good, and and there's someone else back there whose name I can't recall right now. So it's, it doesn't seem to be quite as, as bad, but they, they certainly have had their issues. And, and uh, you're right. I mean, this is a time where the Padres should take advantage, um, should take advantage of that. I mean, the Rockies, it's funny, they got off to a good start. Uh, they were, they're 16 and 11. And since then they're 11 and 26 
And as we know, two of those wins came last weekend. So you, you never know what's going to happen. And obviously playing games at Coors uh, only adds to the uncertainty. Uh, the Padres are, you know, will not be throwing Darvish or Musgrove in this series. So there's always that question. I don't think Nick Martinez, I think he's only pitched once at Coors. It was several years ago. Uh, Gore obviously has never pitched there. Blake Snell, we know about his road pitching issues. So, um, you know, I, I mean, nothing, I, I would say nothing would surprise me this weekend. I guess if the Rockies swept the Padres, that would surprise me. But anything short of that, any other outcome would not surprise me. And, you know, look, the Padres, as you pointed out in your newsletter, I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, it figured that all these guys were going to start hitting pretty soon because <laughs> you just figured these, Trent Christian wasn't going to hit 150 all year and, and Cronenworth wasn't going to hit 200 and, you know, Luke Voigt wasn't going to strike out half the time and all that sort of thing. So, of course, they're hot now. Their season numbers, you know, they still don't have anyone above 800. I think Alfaro is just over 800 OPS. Besides Manny. Besides, right. And I was going to say, other than the obvious being Machado, who, you know, he slumps. He, he doesn't get a hit for a couple games, and it's like, oh, it's a big slump. And then he comes back and, uh, you know, it has a couple big games and continues just to hit the ball hard. Uh, so many times when he's when he's up, and uh, uh, there's a story on our website uh, today from Bryce Miller, uh, and and he even points out in there, yes, it's June, but in terms of the MVP race, I mean Machado figures to be in the thick of it. Excuse me, throughout the season, yeah, I do think at this point it would be excuse me difficult to outpoll someone like Paul Goldschmidt, um, who has superior offensive numbers. And if people just look at that, Goldschmidt has a big advantage there. Manny's defense is obviously superior. It's a much tougher position to play. I mean, for, and it's the same thing with Pete Alonso, who's having a great uh, season. And it's where, you know, war comes into play. And I, I texted you something yesterday about war and just how I, I, I still, one of these days we're going to get someone on here who's going to kind of, I, I don't want to say defend it, but sort of explain how it can be so different and why are there different calculations for it? You know, we know what a batting average is. We know what an on-base percentage is. We know how to figure that out. War seems to change over a couple different sites. And, you know, Machado has a pretty big edge on fan graphs right now over Goldschmidt and Mookie Betts and Tommy Edmond. And then you go to baseball reference and, and Tommy Edmond, I think, has the highest war among uh, players in the National League. So I, I don't want to get into that too much. It's still only June. There's still almost 100 games to go. But it is a good piece about Manny and a couple of his teammates, Luke Voigt, Craig Stammen, talking about him and sort of what makes him so special uh, and, and what they've picked up from watching him. And those guys have obviously seen a lot of other players uh, as well in their time around the league. He is, uh, you know, to me, in so many ways, is the epitome of greatness. And certainly he says this a lot, but it's but it's true. And, and it is that that's what the really good players do is an 0 for 8 does not become an 0 for 20. Mm -hmm. right? It becomes a 3 for 20, which then yeah. you were 3 for 12, right? If you were 0 for 8. <laughs> so it's, it's, it, that, that's what, what he does, and that's why you can be confident that this will continue. And you know what? You can also be confident that, uh, that he can be healthy. And I'll say this. Like, um, until was it when Manny missed a couple games, Paul Goldschmidt overtook him for the games played lead since 2015. Mm -hmm. It was always kind of silly to me that Paul Goldschmidt was even in the conversation 
because first baseman shouldn't be in the conversation, right? <laughs> Me, it's, it's Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado in terms of your Ironmen, um, you know, playing every day. That's really right. what it is. I don't know that that's the determining factor for your MVP unless it's really close. And I will tell you that if it's really close, then it is my determining factor. What, you know, what position you play. So, well, sure. And, and I think, and obviously you can contribute so much more defensively. And that's why a guy like Edmund has a high war uh, as well. You can contribute a lot defensively at a position other than first base. And it's, um, you know, you're just not getting much credit for defense at first base and, and for Goldschmidt to be up there as high as he is tells you what a great season that he's having. But, and, you know, you also look at Pete Alonso with all the home runs and RBIs that he has. Where does he uh, play, too? Well, right. And Goldschmidt, you know, look where Goldschmidt plays. I mean, the best best fans in America. So Well, best uh, fans in America, and certainly, and I love their media there, really do. But their media certainly um, <clears throat> promotes that. And then the rest of the media buys into it. What well, Manny will have got- going for him is the underdog. Right. It'll be it'll be a big push. And look, I'll be part of it. Sure. Uh, it'll be a big push of, of Manny out in San Diego on the West Coast. But look, the Cardinals don't have six gold glovers. That's not a fact. Actually, they do. I guess that's the fact. Yeah. It's become now like this perpetual thing where, yeah. oh, look at how great the Cardinals play defense. And they do. But then it's like, oh, so no one else who plays center field can ever win gold glove. No one else who plays third base can ever win right. gold glove. Like. These well, you know, you know my feelings about gold gloves, and I have two very good uh, examples of why gold gloves are a joke, and I don't pay much attention to them. Uh, one of them still playing. One of them has a big TV series coming out about him that I can promise you I won't be watching. Um, but the other, um, you know, the other one I watch play all the time, and it's hard to believe that he won one of them, let alone four, unless he was a much different. Much different defensive player then, but that's beside the point. Well, you watch Machado play every day, you know what a great. I mean, the play he made late in yesterday's game was yes. another example of that. I mean, if you didn't see it, he took a, he got a bad in between hop that sort of forced him back onto his heels, and he didn't bother trying to set himself or anything. He basically threw it while he was falling back toward left field, and the throw was right on the money, unreal um, to first base, and it was and and it's he just makes it look easy all the time. And, you know, we, we probably talk, I don't know if we can talk too much about it, but it's so enjoyable to watch, to watch him play. And I, and I do think one more thing on the MVP thing, I, I think his reputation is going to hurt him. And, and look, we've seen over the past three years or however long he's been here now, is it, is this his fourth year here? I've already lost count. Um, we've seen that the, the quote narrative about Manny Machado is is very unfair and this is a guy who plays every day and he and he plays hard and yeah he doesn't run out every single ground ball we've gone through the reasons for that it's it's even talked about again in in Bryce's column today you know his famous quote I'm not Johnny Hustle he doesn't have to be Johnny Hustle you know not every player has to be Johnny Hustle uh and and it's much more important for him to be on the field all the time but I do think that there is he does have a problem his reputation precedes it, and there are some people. It's never going to go away. Now, whether those people have votes for MVP, I don't know. But the, the, there are a lot of people out there who hear the name Manny Machado, and their immediate reaction is negative. And, I'll say and this, and, I you know, like- and the thing I'll say is, it's unfortunate for them that they don't get to enjoy what the, you know what they're watching. It, it is, and, and I don't often talk about other media members. I certainly won't name anyone. But in that it is the media that votes for this award, I think it's appropriate that I do. When I 
tell people how much I enjoy covering Manny, tell the other media members, their reaction is incredulous. They are incredulous. <laughs> and I don't know that any, well, maybe a couple of them have had, you know, a lot of interaction with him. Um, and he can be a pain in the butt. He really can. Right. He made the team I cover better, first of all. So there's number one on my list, right? Mm-hmm. He makes you work for if you want any sort of quotes or insight, but he gives it to you and he's very good about it. And he made the team I cover better. So there, there, there's yeah. my reason. And But it, my point was like people, even if they say they don't, often do allow that that narrative, that preconceived notion. That's the problem with a first impression. There's a saying about it is yeah. that you never really let it go. That's the problem with it. No, it is. And, and there's no reason whatsoever that whether Manny is easy to deal with or hard to deal with or anything like that, none of that should have to do I'm with embarrassed by that. But we've heard stories about Ted Williams. I mean, going back to Ted Williams, he was a pain in the butt for writers back in the in the 40s. And there was no question that there were guys who held it against him. And whether that happens, what and if it still happens, yeah, it probably does. Whether it's going to hurt Machado in this case, who knows? And Again, we have 95 or whatever games to figure out what's going to happen and what his numbers end up being and where the Padres are, which is also very important. And, you know, speaking, we should speak more about the Padres at this point who are who are 41 and 24. And I I tweeted the, the link out to this today. And I said, this is a first for hot lava because we're talking about the Padres being in first place. This late in the season, and it's only June seventeenth, but which is, and they have not been in first place this late in the season, and and this is such a sad statement to have to make since 2010. 2010 it's sad, but does it surprise anyone who's been call, call, um, following this team? I, Most probably, teams go probably back to 2010. Yeah, probably not. But it's like, my God, that's just that's just so bad. Um, but you know, that's I guess that's in the past at this point, and. They are in first place now. It doesn't mean anything that they're in first place other than they're obviously playing well and they have a really good record, um, you know, through 65 games. I don't, they've never had a better record through 65 games uh, in their history. And, you know, they continue to play at a pace even approaching this and their win total will be well into the nineties, which is what, you know, what we kind of expected, whether it was, you know, low nineties to to mid nineties or whatever, I, I think, the expectation for this team was to win more than 90 games and make the playoffs right now. That's the kind of season that they're having. And even though there have been some, some real uh, hiccups, I guess, in the way they've, they've overcome those. And I'm, I'm not sure what else to, you know, it's, it's hard to be too critical when, when they're 41 and 24. It is. I think the only thing you can do right now is, I mean, because other than talk about the stuff that we've talked about a, a lot that, that hasn't gone well, is talk about what might not go well, right? Like right. I think they're they're catching a little bit of a break that evidently uh, MLB has said that Monday you go down to 13 pitchers, right? Now, if things keep going like they are, well, the Padres don't need any more pitchers, but they're not right. going to keep going like they are. And the good thing is they get to get past their first Coors Field stay with 14 pitchers, right? Mm-hmm. And here's the deal. Mike Clevenger is probably going to join the team here in the next couple of days, pitch next week. Um, you're going to have seven starters, which means you're um, going to have well seven starters. Nick Martinez will be in the bullpen, but you know right. that's a long guy who goes every once in a while, right? You got Adrian Morahone who goes every once in a while. You've got like five pitchers 
five relievers down there that can go on a regular basis after that. So it's going to be really tricky uh, what they what they do with their pitching staff with only 13 players. Well, and I, I think one of the things to, to do, and, and obviously, I mean, I, I would trust Bob Melvin and Ruben Niebla to, to, to manage this is 13 pitchers should be enough. Absolutely. You know, and, and guys should be able to pitch should be able to pitch more innings maybe than they than they do. And and the Padres seem to have guys who who may be able to do that. Martinez, you know, is is one of them. Stammon certainly can. Chris Matt is a guy who can who can pitch innings. Mm-hmm. I, I think Tim Hill's the type of guy who normally could pitch three out of four days. Um so I think that's the position that they're gonna find themselves in, that these guys are just gonna have to be used um a little bit a little bit more often. But there, there shouldn't be a problem with 13 pitchers. I, Not I a problem. It's just a different situation that they have yeah. to manage. And absolutely. And that's the great thing. You know, Tim Hill's pitched once in the past week. Uh, yeah. and, and so now he's, unlike last year, where I don't think he had a break of more than three days at this point, he, right. he's rested. Uh, you mentioned, you, the guys you mentioned, Chris, Matt, Stammen, uh, that's great. When Nick Martinez goes back, provided Snell keeps pitching and the guys that we assume are going to be their six-man rotation. But what I was saying is that means the starters need to keep going like they're yes. going. Then- yeah, they do. <laughs> and you have, but and then you also have guys, I mean, you do have guys like Martinez and, and Morhone and Chris Matt who can go more innings. Yep. Yep. You just need it to more um, – you need it to more go like you planned. If, if, if it starts to have a, a – if you start to have some problems with the starting pitching, then you just have to adjust. But they are in a great position. My question is, now Bob Melvin, he loves having a deep bench, can do all sorts of things. At this point, I mean, is it Brent Rooker? Uh, is uh, I don't know who this extra position player is. Uh, right. It's not Robinson Cano unless all you want is at this point is your cheerleader in the clubhouse. It's not C.J. Abrams. It's not Eggy Rosario because you want him to keep playing, though it's only a matter of time till he's up here. So, it, you know, it'll just be interesting who that extra person is. To me, it's far more interesting what they do with the pitching. You know, Stephen Wilson optioned. Uh, Kyle Tyler has pitched really well. You can't option him uh, or you end up losing him. At some point, some team's going to keep Kyle Tyler, who's been, yeah. you know, been DFA'd five <laughs> times in the last two months, um, and he showed that he could pitch uh, in, in Chicago. Right, and I was going to say you're going to get Will Myers back, but that's going to be so far down the road. And and obviously, when you get Tatis back as well, you know you're you're entering into yeah. that area w- with deciding who stays and who goes. I, right now, I mean the the outfield is working. You know, <laughs> Profar is Profar is hot. I talked about OPS guys not getting to 800. He's the closest one among the right, the full time guys. I think he's about 785. Been hot lately, and the platoon in right field is is working out i mean nomar mazara looking looking like the guy that he was early in his career i mean i think he started his career with three straight seasons where he hit 20 home runs yeah. for for the rangers and you you wrote today about sort of the reunion between him and and profile amazing and it is and then these guys were both top prospects and they're both playing they're you know playing who now I like, out and like i they were i should have just mentioned it and i because i sometimes you make decisions that just aren't good ones i figure i write about it later Jorge Alfaro was one of their top five prospects for a couple of years with those guys. Wow. Like, it's like it just didn't fit into the story yesterday of yeah. those two guys playing together. Alfaro was a little bit behind them, but isn't that AJ? We all, we make fun of AJ Preller, but it's, uh, it's working out right now that he's going to his old Rangers roots. 
yeah, I mean, if guys are going to, if, if people are going to show up and play like that, then sure. It works out. Uh, it works out great. Just, you know, as long as he doesn't have any thoughts of, you know, mid season trades for soft hitting infielders uh, that are, that are due to regress off of a career high batting average, uh, not mentioning any names or anything. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, everything seems to be to be going well, and but again, it all goes back to the pitching, and and this is a this is a good test this weekend for the pitching because you have sort of your depending on where you where you slot Manaya in this, you you pretty much have your your four, five, and six guys pitching right now this weekend. I mean, Gore, Gore's been great, but I mean, I, I don't know where you rank I, I don't know where you rank him in your uh, in your rotation, but. And, you know, pitching in an environment that's not great. But the Rockies, the Rockies, you know, their reputation is that they are a great offensive team. This year they are anything but that. And I, I think they're, they are they don't have a lot of power. They hit the ball on the ground a lot. Uh, they hit into double plays a lot. I read their, their, hard hit, their hard hit ball rate is very low. So, you know, this is not a team that's, that's done a lot of damage offensively. I, I think – I, I didn't check closely to know if Chris Bryant's coming back this weekend. I, I know he's getting – I think he Bryant's, probably would need a rehab. Maybe yeah, before. it's been a while since he played, so I yeah. wasn't even on my mind that he so would he be able might to need a rehab. And um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Charlie Blackman will probably hit a couple home runs just because, you know, he does that. But they, they don't have a lot of guys really bashing the ball. The C.J. Crone, I think, has been their best hitter um, so far this year. But as we saw last weekend, they did win two games. Uh, against the Padres by limiting them to two runs a game for uh, for three straight games, but it's interesting. I love what you wrote this week about the how, you're, how you get emails during the games from people um, complaining about the offense, and then you know they end up scoring twelve runs or nineteen runs in uh, in those games. It's the the impatience is uh, is hilarious. So we just got a note from one of our guys here. Luke, who said Brian is expected to start a rehab assignment this week. So uh, this weekend. So thank you for Luke that. Luke Costa uh, reporting. Luke Costa. Yes, with reporting. So, uh, but you know, anyway, it's it, it will be interesting, and and the fact that it's going to be hot uh, will only should only add to the to the idea at least that there should be some offense. I am. Um... Anybody who covered it remembers it, and if you've been, if you've covered even a few games here, you have you have a story. But was it? It was 2019 when they Padres and the Rockies scored more runs in a series than had ever been scored in a series. I mean, it was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I will say since then, this place is toned down. They've obviously done something. Maybe you've heard about this with the balls. Uh, they, <laughs> their and, and apparently on, with the Rockies hitters too. But. Their humidor is on twenty four seven here, evidently, right. uh, because it is different. It is it is different here. It is still a mile high, and the, you know there is the propensity. But you you know you're not getting the twenty run games now. Watch, I just doomed myself. I'll be here at Coors Field till two in the morning this morning. But actually, uh, the the funny the funny thing is that I I do think their last. I, I was looking this up, and if my memory is even close to being accurate. I think their last win on, which was on June first at, at Coors, wow. was like a 13, 13 to twelve game against the uh, against the Marlins. So wow. um, maybe you do have something to look forward to. In that uh, was their last win at home. At home, yeah, they've lost seven straight since uh, 
since that one. But yeah, the uh, 92 runs in a four-game series. Jay, speaking I, I just, of at home, I, I, I don't have the record here because I generally don't pay attention to these things because they're cyclical. But do you put anything into the Padres' record? What is it, three over on the road? I mean, three over at home and 14 yeah. over on the road? I mean, is there should I be looking into this? I mean, I generally am like, no, because like last year, I remember they weren't doing well on the road and then it flipped around and it doesn't. But holy smokes. I wouldn't I don't put a lot of stock in it. It is. I I mean, I think I don't know. I mean, I I wanted to say they seem to hit better on the road, but their opponents are playing. You know, the opponents play in the same stadium is the thing. So it's the same conditions. So I, I just don't know that there's much to get into that and yet they've had a couple of monster games at home that is uh, true the, the opener uh was big that game against the one or a couple games against the Mets where they what they scored 29 runs in uh, a couple games against the Mets so I I whatever it was so I I you know who knows and, you know what's uh, been interesting to me is it's, Bob it's Melvin awesome. and yeah, understand Bob Melvin he loves this game but he is so enamored with the crowd at Petco because of where he came from right yeah. like, like and he loves <laughs> Uh, he was a, home, he was a hometown Bay Area guy, but yeah. I think his uh, and this is just me speculating. This is me listening to him. I think he's somewhat heartbroken by the, what what's happened there and what is happening there. And he's just so enamored with the Petco Park crowd. The amount of times that he, with great passion, says, "Man, I, I wish we could have put on a better show for the, these guys," like like or that he was happy that they put on a show for the fans because he truly does appreciate um, what's happening at Petco Park right now. Right, and and I think uh, um, you know the Padres are averaging. I think it's 37,000 uh, uh, fans a game, and um, um, they are depending on what happens and if if they continue to play the way they're playing, they actually have a shot at drawing three million this year. And uh, uh, Kirk Kenny of our staff reminded me this week that he was at the game in 1974 when he was a kid, and I was there as well. The Padres gave out bumper stickers on a night in September because they passed the one million mark in attendance for the first time. That was the year after they almost that was right after they almost moved to D.C. And so the fans came streaming out that year and uh, and and got to a a, got to a million. A million fans used to be a big deal for 81 home games. What did San Uh, Diego Stadium hold back then? uh, It was in the well into the in the high 40s, 50, 40s maybe okay. even 50 for okay. baseball might have been in the might have been in the 45 to 50 okay. range but it didn't matter because it was never full right um, and uh or, or just about never full it was still open so, back then the, oh the, yeah outfield yeah yeah oh yeah it was definitely it was open until the was what, 80, 84 i think something i might have been like there that. too jay i might have been yeah, there you, too but i was maybe three. maybe you were but you were you were probably sleeping if you uh uh, if you were, you were, or you were yelling for cotton candy. Oh no, wait, that was somebody else. I won't mention <laughs> to bring back memories for you, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I do think it's great. What's happened there at, at Petco. And I, it's interesting. The, the biggest thing to me are the games during the week, you know, that are drawing yes. 30,000 during yep. the week. I also think the Padres made a very smart decision to start doing promotions during the week. I never understood why they would make give do their giveaways on Saturdays? You know they they gave out Fernando Tatis hats uh, against the Mets a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night, and Petco was full. I mean it's it's not it's not going to be full on a Wednesday night normally. So hey, Jake Cronenworth uh, bobblehead is yeah. midweek next week. Yeah, this Thursday uh, this Thursday is Cronenworth bobblehead 
uh, night. The Philly, you know, the, I don't know that the Diamondbacks are normally a big draw for the, those three games, but the Phillies usually are. Be interesting to see. I mean, we did not see as many Met fans. Um, after game one. After game one in that series. Be curious to see. I, I would think we'd see a lot of Philly fans, though. I mean, it's a four it's a four game series, a weekend in the summer. Uh, I, I would think there'd be, a, and Philly fans usually uh, usually show up. But we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to that next week. You have a big weekend ahead. Uh, I want to wish everyone, starting with you, a happy Father's Day for Sunday. And um, we will talk on Monday when you're back home about what happened to Coors and what's ahead with the. Uh, the homestand against Arizona and Philadelphia. Thanks, everybody.